All right, welcome back to the podcast. My guest this week is someone I've always been trying to get a hold of to put on the podcast, Jeremiah Grossman, uh, who formerly of White Hat Security, uh, old buddy of mine, old jiu-jitsu partner who's taught me a lot in the game of jiu-jitsu. Um, Jeremiah, welcome to the podcast. How is life in Hawaii and how is life unemployed? <laughs> uh, thanks, Ryan. Thanks for having me. I, I didn't know I was so hard to find and track down. I, I got to work on that or something. Um, how is life in Hawaii? Um, it's as you expect. It's it is absolutely paradise. I love it here. I grew up here. So I was born and bred. T- born and bred there. Uh, I was raised here. I got here when I was five, so it's really all I know. Um, I did spend many years in California, but I moved back to Maui about uh, five, six years ago now, and uh, just having a great time. So I get to travel the world, meet new people, and and fight them with jujitsu. And I always bring my gi, and then I get to talk hacking with the. Uh, on, on every continent, so it's it's awesome. Is it is it practical from a time zone perspective to live out there and work? I mean, I, I understand that the West Coast game is, what, three hours away? Uh, East Coast is uh, six. How, what's, what's, like, what's the work daily workflow like? Sure, so uh, Hawaii doesn't do the whole daylight savings time thing, so it, it moves between two and three hour differential depending on the time of year. So right now it's about three. And I normally track my day to Pacific time, so I just you know adjust my schedule three hours ahead. So I'm usually up pretty early, maybe about five thirty or six, and I just start working. So and I can do that because well, I don't I don't have to leave the house. I, right, I don't right. have a commute or anything like that. So I can just you know get going as soon as I I wake up. Yeah, I work uh, I I work from home as well, and you know my company's in Russia. And they're sometimes seven, eight hours ahead. And I have the same thing, get up very early in the morning to catch them before they leave. And working from home and no commute helps. So I'm assuming it's the same thing out there. Yeah, and, and the way I structure my work schedule, I don't really have work days. I kind of, All my work and all my life is all kind of blended. It's all broken up. So I'll be working early in the morning. I'll be working late at night. I'll be working on the weekends and then just life interacts. So it's not, I don't have a nine to five like, like other people might. I suspect you don't either. Right, but the Hawaii time zone doesn't uh, affect any sort of communications with anything in the U.S. or with Europe or anything. Nah, nah, nah. We're, we're on Skype. You're, you're way far away from me. We're probably, what, 5,000 miles away from exactly. each other at the very least. So, nah, Internet makes, makes everything equidistant, and the bad guys like that. Have you always been a security guy, or, or did you stumble into this industry years ago from something else? You know, I like to say that I didn't choose security. Security chose me. And so, no, I was definitely not always a security guy. Actually, uh, my formative years, you know, when I was, let's say, a teenager, I was doing graphic design and web development. And that's kind of how I learned the web. A lot of guys, a lot of security guys come out of that background. Yeah. Web app guys. And then, uh, and then later, I turned Unix administrator, Solaris administrator, really, and then I got some of the back-end systems and Unix system skills. And later, because I had found you know, vulnerabilities in Yahoo Mail way back when, um, that's how I got into security. You know, the recruiters from Yahoo called me up and said, you know what, instead of hacking us uh, part-time, why don't you hack us full-time? So that was, oh, that you was went to good- work for Yahoo? How long ago was that? That was a long time ago. That was, uh, I started at Yahoo on January 10th. Uh, 2000. So I know the date specifically because one, it was a big, big moment in my life. That was a big deal for me. And it was just after Y2K. So I spent all of December of 99 hiding out from Y2K in Maui, just in case. So full-time insecurity 16 years ago. Yep. That's, uh, that's me. Interesting. And the, the jujitsu 
because uh, I want to talk a little bit about jiu-jitsu. I want to keep the podcast to about 30 minutes because I, I find that people tend to drift off after 30 minutes, the tolerance level for listening to just two people <laughs> randomly uh, gabbing about stuff. Um, have you always done the jiu-jitsu from, oh, no. from childhood or did you start late like me? I, st- I started martial arts, if you call it that, with kickboxing when I was a teenager. So I was pretty, you know, for many years, I've just always always did it. Hawaii is a fighting culture. So right, you have that just, culture uh, out there. Yeah, and I didn't get into jujitsu in, until I was about, I think, 24, 25, something like that. So, uh, you know, so I've been, I've been at it for a while, but it certainly wasn't. I didn't grow up doing it. I wasn't doing it since a child. I wish I had. I'd be 10 times better than I was now. So I, just, I had to start somewhere. So I started when I was in my mid-20s. Biggest regret of my life. You know, when I was a kid, I had a chance to go to judo school. And I just, I, it just never appealed to me as a kid growing up and, and you know, older. I, I, I got turned on to jiu-jitsu what, six, six, seven years ago and fell in love with it and biggest regret of my life is not um you know not having uh, uh a chance to do it as a young man <laughs> in many in many respects i mean it's great for older folks but in many respects it's a young man's game uh, flexibility is gone by this point <laughs> <laughs> i i make up for it in uh in, let's say size, uh, stamina. Actually, I'm very big on stamina. I find that I might not be better than the other person, but I will outlast them and cause them to crush. You know, so I, if I have good defense, I will, I will, right, and I, I will make them suffer in the meantime. I'm the opposite. I rely on speed. I figure I'm a little guy. I'm very, very <laughs> quick, and I rely on speed to get me out of almost everything because I'm not. I, I'm, I wouldn't even say I'm a, I'm a decent practitioner yet. So. It's a Blair Witch Jiu-Jitsu. <laughs> One of the things I liked, I read uh, something Dave Itell wrote when he was uh, putting together his first uh, infiltrate uh, Jiu-Jitsu uh, grappling thing. And he talked about the, the direct connect between our industry and Jiu-Jitsu. Uh, you know, playing offense, playing defense, and how everything ties back to, you know, in many respects, you'll be at a Jiu-Jitsu mat and you're thinking about next move, three moves ahead. And it's, in many respects, the same way you think when you're doing offense, defense in the security world. How much has your jiu-jitsu game and your jiu-jitsu training and just your, your mindset uh, helped in your work at White Hat and as, as you got deeper into specifically uh, web app and, and, and AppSec stuff? I actually, since I've been in security much longer than I have been in jiu-jitsu, I say my security experience actually influenced my jiu-jitsu more than anything else. It's uh, in security, in order to learn, I find to be learned, to be genuinely good, it's a, it's a grind. There's no real talent in the industry that I'm aware of. Everything is a grind. You grind it out. You read every blog post. You read every article. You read every book. You write, test, you books, code, right. you talk to people. And every day, it's 1% better. And and I took that to jujitsu. So I, I you know I wasn't going to be physically superior in any way. Have great talent, speed. I wasn't an athlete growing up, so I was going to just have to put grind it out on the mat, one move at a time, one technique at a time, one match at a time, and just grind it out and get better that way. And I think that's you know whether it's in infosec or jujitsu or fighting, I think those who put in the time on the mat are the ones who win. You know, generally speaking, it's not going to guarantee you, but it's going to increase your odds more than anything else. And the great thing about jiu-jitsu is that you can never, ever stop learning. I mean, you're a black belt. You've reached kind of like the pinnacle everyone hopes to one day dream of getting to that level. And you're always learning. 
You know, one thing, you know, there's a, one great thing about being a black belt is I don't, I don't worry about eight belts anymore. I, I, <laughs> so I, when I was a blue belt, I used to worry about being purple. When I was purple, I used to worry about getting to brown. Black belt, now I, you know, I don't even pay attention that I'm a black belt anymore. But I can tell you firsthand that I've actually learned more. I've gotten better and learned more about jiu-jitsu after being a black belt, black belt than I did in all the years before. You know, because now I can just focus on the art and not not the little rewards they give you along the way. Absolutely, I kind of feel the same way. I know I'll never be a black belt, so I stop worrying about it altogether. Uh, the belt levels, you know, in the beginning when you started to get those little stripes, it was a big deal. It's just stopped being a big deal for me, just because I know, you know, uh, at my age and 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 my training regimen, it's it's. Not something I look, for, uh, you know, not like a, a, a grand goal of mine. So it's easy. Let's back up a second. There's sure. going to be a bunch of people here who uh, will probably be hearing about jujitsu for the first time. Hopefully, not a lot, but there's going to be a bunch of people. How do you describe jujitsu? I think I'll, I'll I'll share it in a way that I explain it to my kids. We uh, and I have three of them, and they all train. Um, jiu-jitsu for us is really about self-defense to, you know, to be able to control your body in such a way so if anybody attacks you or somebody that you love that you'll be able to defend them. And so there's all different kinds of fighting styles out there. So what makes jiu-jitsu different? Uh, jiu-jitsu is specifically designed for self-defense, street fighting or whatever else where you, a smaller person can incapacitate and defeat a larger opponent. And the strategy to do that is by closing the distance on the person, you know, protecting yourself from strikes on the way in, closing the distance bringing the person down to the ground and then either submitting them uh, uh, with an armbar or a choke or or punch or punching them and so the techniques are designed to maximize uh, weight uh, and leverage over over another person so you can get your whole body to attack one arm your whole body to attack one particular joint so you know, again, a much smaller person can defeat a, a much larger a person. I'm, we're talking like 50-pound differential here, if not more. I mean, when I, I be probably the same as uh, you, you probably don't empathize with this as much as I can. So I'm a bigger person. I'm well over 200 pounds right now. And, I, and it's not uncommon for me to get tapped by other black belts who are in the 160, 170-pound uh, range. And, and that's what we're talking about here. And you've told a story before. Maybe you can repeat it briefly here of your original experience on the jiu-jitsu mat as a beginner with an older woman who was uh, much smaller um, and some oh, of the humbling yeah. experiences you had there. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure, yeah, you had, you had to go there. So my first day of training, and for those who've ever, you know, who may not have attended a jiu-jitsu class before, the way it works is you go into class, you do some stretching, some warm-ups, you might do some calisthenics, you learn a move or two. They'll teach you one or two, like an arm bar or something like that, or a choke. You'll drill those moves, and then you enter into live sparring, which might be anywhere from 15 to 30 minutes, depending on the place that you go. So I get through class, and at the time, I'm 300-plus pounds, way out of shape, but still very macho, strong. I've, I've done striking before. I'll be okay. So, my, so the instructor pairs me up with a... Uh, with a, a woman who had to be over 50 years old, half my size. So she was maybe 150, 160. I was 300 pounds at the time. And I was confused. I thought they were messing with me and going like, okay, you want me to try to beat up this, this woman and choke her or something like that? They said, yeah. And so, you know, when you start a match, normally in jiu-jitsu, when you train to keep it safe, you start from the knees. So you, you shake hands and you start. And within a half second, this, this 
older woman half my size was on my back choking me. You know, and I was thinking to myself, and I was tapping out like immediately, going like, "What? What just happened?" And I was kind of annoyed because, you know, here I am trying to take it easy on her, and she's taking advantage of me. So I'm thinking like, right then, like, okay, not going to happen anymore. I'm going to put her on her back, uh, uh, put her down, and and submit her with something. We start again, right to my back again, chokes me, and I'm like tapping furiously, and I'm confused on what's going on here. How is this woman getting to my back so fast? And this proceeds to happen over and over again for the, all of the six minutes of the matches until I had nothing left. I could not keep this woman from either breaking her arm or choking me. And, you know, and I remember going out to my car after class and just sitting there and thinking, you know, I can't go through my life. This is all the whole macho thing coming out. I can't go through my life knowing that, I, you know, grandma here kicked the crap out of me. And I couldn't do anything about it. I have to keep training, if nothing else, but to but to beat to but to tap her to beat her. I have to keep going, and that's what I did. And it took me about a, a year and a half. So that was uh, my beginning of a jujitsu story. And it's a and, good uh, lesson too, because it's such a humbling sport. And again, just to tie the conversation back to computer security, it's a, we live in such a humbling world where you know, in many respects, you think you have things under control. You feel like you're you know sufficiently protected. Uh, you feel like you're sufficiently prepared for like for for a malicious hacker attack or something, and then you get this humbling experience where, you know, someone who is m- one much more prepared, probably better resourced, will always have the upper hand, and and that's that's one of the the, the big lessons for jujitsu for me is how awesome it is to just tap and learn from it, uh, rather than thinking that you have you know controlled this game. And you've heard the quote, in jiu-jitsu, there is no losing. There's only you win or you learn. And it's, it's so true. And it's very honest. You know, there's, there's no forms and things like that when you spar. The person tapped or they didn't. You tapped or you didn't. So you know exactly where you're at, and you don't have to get hurt to do it. How good are you really? How well can you defend yourself really? And I find that same level of honesty in jiu-jitsu also transcends also to information security with hacking. Can you hack the system and get root or take over the account, or can't you? It's very honest in that, in that way. That's why I, I really love both, I think. It's just the, that, you can, that it's so hard that there's so much to learn and that you can get so good and that is just honest along the way. I, I like you, that a lot. And you talk about it from the hacking from the hacker's perspective. From the defender's perspective, it's very much the same thing. Can I can I can I stop this box from being rooted? And what is the cat and mouse playing game I'm playing with off uh, with the off, with the offensive guys? And it's it's so similar. I'm I'm I'm, I know there's a lot of security pr- practitioners dabbling with jiu-jitsu. I'm surprised there's a lot. Uh, there's not a lot more. I, you know, I think there's a lot. There, you, you know, it's funny. Um, when I started training jiu-jitsu, I was always coming to coming to my business meetings, and you know, with scuffs on my face and black eyes and stuff. So just because you know, incidental contact happens. And I started blogging about uh, jiu-jitsu only because I had to explain myself like, no, I'm not in some kind of fight club and <laughs> something like that. I'm on stage with like a knot on my head or a black eye or something like that. So I had to explain it. And I, and I, when I started blogging about it, a lot of people came out of the woodwork and say, we, we train too, you know, whether it's Brazilian jiu-jitsu or something else. And, uh, 
what one of the one of the things that I didn't I didn't really know or appreciate at the time was uh, during one of our jujitsu smackdowns, one of our little events that we hold in uh, in Vegas. Dave Itell actually, I was that was his first jujitsu class ever. Was at our smackdowns, and then he he was really scrappy, and I guess he took to it and took it back to immunity and put a conference around it and had you know put the mats in the ballroom, and it was it's fantastic. And now I think he's got a lot of his company that uh, trains, and they're all better than him. He says. Uh, it, it, it's absolutely fantastic. One of my big regrets is not I'm, I'm, I've, I've kind of cut back on my travel a lot just to you know maintain sanity and family time and so on. But I, I miss those things. I, I really do miss those uh, little smackdowns and you know half humbling me every five seconds. <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, yeah, you. Get- uh, do, you, do you plan to make it out to Black Hat this year? I'm going to make it out to Black Hat this year. I'm, I, okay. I'm already booked, so uh, I'm, I'm definitely going to be in for it. Black Hat is okay. not really conducive to it, though, because of uh, you know all the alcohol and the running around <laughs> and you know dragging well, myself to a jiu-jitsu class for uh, with, with last night's hangover and tonight's party plans isn't necessarily the best place for it. Well, I'm going to try to, with this event, I'm going to try to remove all your excuses. I'm going to do my best to make it, like, make you, make you not attending the most miserable thing you've ever experienced. So that'll be my job. Let's do it early. (laughs) Let's do it early before the conference even starts. Monday night or Tuesday night would be. (laughs) <laughs> well, you know, I thought we thought about doing a, a holding the jujitsu smackdown uh, ahead of the uh, black hat. One, not everybody was there, but two, in case anything, uh, uh, anything is injured, anybody gets injured, they can't, you know, have a difficult time with the rest of the conference. So we, that's why we decided to hold it ju- the Thursday night after yeah, the event, so in yeah. case anything happens. Yeah, that's a concern. We had uh, we had indoor soccer. Immunity also put together this indoor soccer tournament, and a guy ripped out his Achilles running around. Thankfully, it was on the Friday and he didn't have to miss the conference. So let's skip ahead. What's next for you? Uh, you just left White Hat, um, where you were CEO up to what, a month ago, two months ago? Oh, no. Uh, let's see. I was, I was CEO for about a year. And a, well, I was, you know, in the beginning, of course, I was CEO, Army of One, because I founded the thing. And I was CEO for like three, four years until it grew, you know, the company largely grew beyond my control. And then we hired Stephanie Phone. And she did great, I want to say, for like eight or nine years. She left the company, and then I took over again as CEO for for about a year and a half while we found another suitable replacement. I'm a hacker technologist. Um, I can run companies, but it's probably not my highest and best use. So we hired another CEO, and I helped uh, help him find his feet. Uh, that was uh, Craig Hinckley for the next year or so. And then it became, you know... I w- just wanted to do other things, and the company was doing well. And if there was ever going to be a time where I was going to leave you know, White Hat, that, that, uh, there was never going to be a better time. So we formed an exit plan, and I made the jump. And so now I'm uh, trying to f- you know, figure things out. What are, what are the next businesses that I can run? And we'll, we'll see what happens. I notice you're, like, you're, you're, you're dabbling around or ad blockers or something. Can we assume you're going to be playing around somewhere along nah, nah, browser um, space? Somewhere. Nah, I tried the browser space at uh, at White Hat with Aviator. Um, I think it was a good. I still think it's a good idea. It might have been a bit ahead of its time. We'll see what uh, yeah, Brave, Brave does. Yeah, exactly. I was just going to say, I see Brave is uh, kind of following that path. Yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes. I, running a competing browser with all the other guys is an ex- extremely expensive proposition, and I just didn't have the capital and a good business model to further it. So I had a. Uh, I had a. a disband it but still, well, I, I think have... the challenge is always going to be speed to patch 
Uh, yeah. Especially if you're going to, uh, you know, uh, go with the Chrome model. Uh, you're, you're never going to beat Chrome. And can you get enough market share to make it profitable from whatever advertising you're selling? That's, that's, that, that's an interesting space to watch. Yeah, so you know, so I have no regrets about it. It was a worthwhile effort. I mean, I guess for every success we might have, you know, we'll have ten failures, and and I can live with that. Again, it's again, it's just like jujitsu. You'll tap a thousand times before you before you get one victory. How and did I'm cool Aviator do? Did, did, well. did Aviator surpass your expectations in terms of users and downloads, or server, or did it just kind of hit a, 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 a spot and stalled? Honestly, I had very lofty ex- uh, expectations for that process. I thought I could change the world in that way, and that's what I was dead set on doing. What what got me, I think, was a little bit of naivete and hubris for how difficult the process and how expensive the process would be. To do and what? So I didn't, uh, just to keep it updated, to keep it... Um, just what to, what just do you mean keep- by the process? Yeah, just to well, one one challenge, just to keep pace with the Chromium team with the patches, um, you know, just what we were spending was three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars a year just in that, and we couldn't keep up. And so I, I think you know, unless you're ready to put down large dollars just to keep parity with the Chromium team, it's kind of a fool's errand in a way. I agree, and, and that's the and, thing with Brave. I noticed someone on a, someone on Twitter mentioned they're still behind. Um, and, 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 you know, working hard to catch up. But just to keep pace there is going to be so difficult and expensive. And so that, you know, while it's great that Chrome and Chromium is open source and things like that, it's probably why we don't see too many, if any, competing products out there where they not necessarily forked it, but leverage Chromium. It's too, it's too hard and too expensive to use. I don't think that's any fault of the Chromium team, but it is what it is. Right. So what's next? What, 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 what areas are, what, what piques your interest? Well, in security, what I, you know, I sat down after White Hat sat down, I wrote a, a big list of what I thought all the, the world problems are with computer security. Like, what are the top problems out there that I think I can solve? And because so I want to still wanted to do one in security, so what I'm going to do, do is I, I'll probably take some uh, I, I'll take some near term consulting uh, engagements to help out some other security companies because I'm very bullish on security guarantees. I think our industry needs to do that very much so. But isn't that, and that, an, isn't that again a fool's errand? I, I hope not, but it could it could be considering my track record. But I do find that our industry, InfoSec, is seventy five billion dollars a year, and not and save for White Hat in, in a one area, no one guarantees their work. No other industry in the entire world do we accept this. Not with cars, boats, electronics, or anything. Everything has a warranty or a return policy except security products. And everybody then wants to say, well, you can't guarantee security. That's fine. You can't guarantee my TV's not going to break either, but you still give me a, a, a guarantee. I think InfoSec can and should get there. Interesting. I, I, I'd be curious to see how you'd push forward with this. I mean, you, people sign a ULA and that's about, uh, that removes all liability. It, it does. And at, at the same time, I don't think people are really watching what's going on outside of our industry. And the one I could, the corollary I point to is cybersecurity insurance. <clears throat> so while InfoSec is growing at 5% a year, cybersecurity insurance is growing at 70% a year. If we look real closely, one of the theories that we can drive from that is that people are more likely now to spend new money protecting downside costs with insurance than to spend on the new security stuff that might protect a, a, a breach in the first place. That signals to me that we have a credibility issue. Shouldn't that guarantee uh, extend to the platform maker? For instance, let's just say uh, Windows. Shouldn't that be a Microsoft issue? 
It, it could. It could be. It should be. I see it as I, an opportunity. I, I I was looking at like sorry to interrupt, but I was looking at this ransomware kind of uh, uh, epidemic we're facing now, and I'm thinking to myself, like, why 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 is that? Why is that a failure of AV or failure of the security industry, and not a failure of of you know my operating system? I think I guess one way to look at it, I have to think more about it. One way to look at it is it's the, it'll be the fault of the uh, it'll be the fault or the blame will go to who raised their hands and says that they want to be responsible. If we're talking Windows, Microsoft doesn't want to be responsible for ransomware, so they didn't raise their hand. The security industry wants to make money on combating ransomware, so when it, they're not doing their job, well, they're going to be at fault. That's fair. All right, Jeremiah. Anything else? Uh, anything else? Um... Any other any other big problems? Uh, oh, so yeah, uh, so that was the security one, and you know, one of the you know, at least in web security anyway, one of the problems that I identified is that it sounds very weird to say, Ryan, but most of the website, most of companies out there that I've interacted with, let's say in the Fortune 500, don't know what websites that they own. Like they don't have the foggiest idea. Just some sort of auditing of web properties. Imagine, like, it sounds simple, but imagine a product that just finds and helps them manage their website assets and, and nothing more. I mean, when's the last time you see a website asset inventory everywhere, anywhere? I mean, most of the web break-ins we're seeing and the volume disclosures are in websites that these businesses didn't even know they owned. That's true. I don't even know how many domains I own. Yeah. So, and I think, you know, if you, you know, I, I said it once on Twitter, if you don't, you can't secure what you don't know you own. So maybe that's a problem that we can, that we can solve there. Oh, that's that's a huge problem. Only yesterday I saw a story. Thirty six organizations were hacked by a an exploit against a SAP uh, business applications vulnerability that was patched five years ago. And, yeah. and the guesstimate is that a lot of those administrators don't even know those things exist. Or, and and that, <laughs> that that point you make right there is one that's very personal to me because I see a lot of in AppSec a lot of the emphasis, a lot of the conversation, new products are focused on securing new code as it's written, you know, recently developed code. But if you look at it, most of the risk is really in the old legacy code that's, you know, five years or more ago. That's where the risk is. And in many ways, security, but particularly application security, is janitorial work, cleaning up past mistakes and past issues. And I think that's where we need to get better. Absolutely. It's the reason why hospitals are such a prime target for ransomware. All the legacy issues, old out-of-support Windows operating systems uh, running critical uh, things on top of it. It's just a problem that will never, ever, ever go away. So, so, so to answer your earlier question, so I'll do some consulting work maybe in security guarantees, uh, most definitely in security guarantees. I'll probably do one security company, and I also want to try some things out, outside, of, uh, outside of security. And, you know, Again, my tolerance for risk is is very high, you know. And I'll try some things, and I'll let some things fail. But and whatever starts gaining traction, I'll just jump on that and leverage that to the fullest extent that I that I can. Last question: Like, as practitioners and like me working as a journalist and now uh, doing my job here, we we have a certain uh, ambivalence, maybe pessimistic view of security industry uh, because of every how connected we are to everything and how much we know that things are vulnerable, things will never be fixed. We have this kind of like real, real pessimistic view. In your experience over these 16 years since you joined Yahoo to today, have you seen in a general like macro theme things changed for the better? Have you seen kind of like just a stagnation or do you think 
as an industry, we've gotten better at understanding and protecting things? I think, well, let's just try web security first. I remember when I first got into web security, you know, very, there was very little things uh, written about it, very few people working on it. And you could literally spend a minute or two minutes on a site and come up with a pile of own just by looking at the search box, putting in a single tick and a semicolon, and you would see SQL injection, ODBC error messages everywhere. Now that's just not the case. So whatever we're doing, you know, however much we complain about things aren't better, things are terrible, in many ways they're right, but things, at least in web security, have gotten way better than they were before. It is generally hard to to find and exploit a top-tier website these days. It has gotten much, much better, and I think we have a, a lot to be proud of. That yeah, said, a lot, that, of the data, a lot of the big data breaches are still happening through. Oh, yeah, but, but like I said, those are happening through the secondary and tertiary websites. Any place that we see InfoSec seems to focus on, the, the security of those systems improve. It's just we're dealing with a scaled problem. We're dealing with some, a problem the size of the Internet. And when our psyche is every single day, the security person is always looking for what's wrong, what's the worst case scenario all the time. So it stands to reason that everything to us is always, it's all bad, it's all terrible, but it's just not the case. We think at some point we have to give ourselves a little credit and look for the things that we did right. What the, ba- what the bad guys are no longer targeting. They, I mean, they used to, they used to hack Windows nonstop directly. Microsoft got religion and came out with, you know, Windows, you know, all the way up to Windows 10 now. And it's light years ahead of where it was. We can, we have and can continue making good changes. We just can't always be focused on everything that's always wrong. We did some good things right. Right. As John Lambert from Microsoft says, you just have to continue making it harder for them. Uh, Add resources to their, uh, making sure adversaries are using more resources tomorrow than they're using today. Uh, exactly. I mean, that's about as, as 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 best as we can hope for. Exactly. So I, I just think uh, a lot of times it's just our personality uh, uh, talking and the way you know, just how we interact, what our job is. Our job is to find problems, and that's what exposes a lot of times. And we just have to, you know, sometimes you just have to take a moment and go, okay, where were we were ten years ago? Where are we at now? And what things actually got better? All right, let's leave it on a high note so people are at least optimistic about going to work tomorrow. (laughs) Thank you very much, Jeremiah. I enjoyed it. We'll have to do it again sometime. Absolutely. My pleasure, Ryan.